1: We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. One thing of course we could also do is to make an open and unconditional offer to Ukrainian refugees to house the United Kingdom. We haven't seen all of what Putin's going to do at the
2: moment. We do not know what his end goal is.
3: You're
4: listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. On today's programme, we're speaking to James Gray, Conservative MP for North Wiltshire, and we'll get the latest polling with views towards Ukraine, trust in the government and the soaring cost of living. Well, after a short hiatus, Partygate is back in the headlines. The Met Police say they're issuing 20 fines today for staff and officials close to Boris Johnson over parties during the pandemic. While the police have not named the individuals, Bloomberg understands that Boris Johnson is unlikely to be among those touched by the first tranche of penalties, but the Mets say there may be more to come. The Prime Minister said he was assured that no rules were broken. Asked about the fines and whether Johnson should resign, Education Minister Will Quince praised Britain's democracy. Looking at the moment over in Ukraine and even even worse over in, in Russia, I think it's a brilliant thing that we have a free press in this country that's able to ask these kind of questions. These are the questions that couldn't be asked uh, in Putin's regime in in Russia. I think it's a a great thing. Well, speaking of Russia and Ukraine, the two sides are in Turkey today for more peace talks. Ukrainian negotiators are striving for a ceasefire agreement. This, as the mayor of Mariupol says that Russia's siege of the city has killed almost 5,000 people the Financial Times is reporting that Russia may agree to let Kyiv join the European Union and drop its request for the country to be, quote, denazified if Ukraine abandons its push for NATO membership. Well, let's discuss all of these issues with our guest today, James Gray, Conservative MP for North Wiltshire. James, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Now, last time we spoke at the beginning, of January. You told us it was your hope that politics would be uh, more boring in 2022. I think uh, disappointing news on that front with the confirmation of the uh, fines uh, by the Met Police for Downing Street staff, uh, possibly more to come. Do you think that the Prime, Minister's, the Prime Minister should resign if he gets uh, a police fine?
3: Well, how things have changed since that time and I hope that the world will be more boring and uh, unfortunately not. The world's the most exciting, worrying place it has been for many years, and looking back over the last two or three years, a combination of the leadership battle, the gen- two general elections, uh, COVID, of course, uh, economic difficulties, uh, and the Ukraine, uh, this is really quite a, uh, quite a worrying time for the globe. On top of that comes this local difficulty uh, of, of Partygate. gate. Um, these people were all civil servants, uh, having a glass of wine after their work, which they shouldn't have been doing. And if the Metropolitan Police issue them with um, uh, fixed penalty notices, then they don't, they'll pay them and apologise for having behaved in the way they did. They, they, they behaved incorrectly, as it now appears, um, and um, uh, they, they will pay the penalty.
4: And if Boris Johnson gets one, what, what, what then?
3: Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't suppose... We, don't, we have no idea at all whether or not he will get one. If he does, it's equivalent to a speeding fine. Uh, and I'm sure that if, if the Prime Minister was given a speeding fine, he'd be embarrassed and apologise for he shouldn't be speeding and he shouldn't be taking part in any of these activities if indeed he did um but it's not the end of the world a time like this when the uh, thousands of people are being killed and made homeless uh, in ukraine a time when the economy is looking very difficult to result when we're still fighting COVID around the world at time like this i'm not sure that a fixed penalty notice for a, a party a couple of years ago necessarily is all that important
4: but it is a bit more- serious and a speeding fine, isn't it? These were the rules which were put in place, rules which caused a lot of people a lot of hardship and, and suffering, and there were rules made by the government, made by Boris Johnson, which uh, it's alleged he then broke.
3: Well, that's perfectly true, but then so are, speed, so are speed limits. They're put in place by the government for very good reason to make sure that our streets and roads are safe, and if you drive at 100 miles an hour down the motorway, you will certainly get a ticket, they very probably be banned. Uh, I'd have thought of you being that fast. The same applies here that these these were important rules at the time. They were asking people up and down the country to abide by them, and people had terrible, tragic circumstances as a result. They couldn't see their loved ones, and they uh, couldn't do all the things they wanted to do, and it really was a very tough time for everybody. And not surprisingly, people in Britain are angry that they were undergoing those kind of uh, privations, when apparently at the same time those who uh, run the country were having a glass of wine in the Number 10 Garden. Now, I don't blame them for being angry. Uh, And so so was I. Uh, I I certainly didn't go to any such party, wasn't invited. Um, But, I mean, uh, nonetheless, at a time like this, I think we nonetheless have to get these things into proportion uh, and have to consider whether or not, for example, your question was, should the Prime Minister resign? That would be of immense consequence in the world if the UK Prime Minister resigned at a time like this, and Mr. Putin would no doubt be extremely pleased about that. And what a mistake that would be. So uh, I'm sure he shouldn't.
4: Well, I want to talk to you about that situation. Face-to-face talks today between uh, Russia and Ukraine in Istanbul. W- what are your hopes for those discussions? What What do you think is the best that we could expect to, to come out of the, of those talks?
3: Well, I think we have to be very hesitant about what uh, about raising expectations. It's good the people are talking, uh, and of course they should be, uh, but the Russians are very unlikely to accept anything other than some kind of partition of Ukraine. They they want half of Ukraine, Uh the Ukrainians are extremely unlikely to say the least. Uh, to accept that, and therefore the chance of there being a, a satisfactory outcome, I think is uh, is a pretty long shot. There are some signs of agreement. I think the fact Ukraine have now said that they uh, will be neutral, rather like Sweden or Finland are, uh, I think is helpful, and then Russia ought to ought to welcome that. Um, their their price in return is they want to join the European Union. I'm sure that Russia won't like that. So I'm glad we're having these talks, but let's not place too much store by them because as they happen. Russia are still raining down missiles on innocent civilians in the towns across Ukraine and it's a terrible situation.
4: Do you think we've we've made positive uh, momentum in the right direction with it's, it sounds like there are some concessions over uh, over NATO and there are, there are talks that that Russia is prepared uh, the suggestion that Russia is prepared uh, to compromise although we don't know that for certain. Do you, do you feel that we are moving in the right direction or is it it too premature to be to be that hopeful?
3: much too early to say. You, can, you really can't trust a single thing that Russia says. Uh, they said over the weekend they were now retreating to Donbass and going to focus on Donbass. But meanwhile, they were busy shelling both Kiev and, and, and Lviv, uh, just outside Lviv. Um, so you really can't trust a single word they say. Uh, if indeed I see Russian tanks and Russian heavy guns withdrawing and the Russian our air force going back to base, uh, then I'll say, well, that that sounds as if we're making some progress towards some kind of ceasefire. But right now, there's no sign of that at all. Uh, And they're continuing with their absolutely disgraceful uh, activities, including deporting tens of thousands of people from Mariupol into camps in Russia. Well, this is simply a massive war crime. 60,000 children deported uh, to Russia to destinations that no one knows where. These things are happening as we speak. And while I hope that the I'm glad the negotiations are taking place, I really don't hold too much store by them until such time as Russia uh, puts its mouth for its money, as, well, what the expression is, uh, and actually does the things that it says it's going to do and starts uh, winding down the war effort. But they're not showing any signs of that at all at the moment.
4: I want to ask you about a, a related issue. It looks like there's been another delay to the UK's energy security strategy with reports of uh, disagreements in, in the Cabinet. Do you think it was a mistake to put an effective moratorium on new onshore wind developments? Uh, you know, onshore wind is is a relatively cheap, particularly now given the cost of fossil fuels, is a relatively cheap uh, form of uh, energy production, uh, and uh, the, the government has has pretty much stopped doing it.
3: Well, I, want, I for one am very glad that they have. I mean, people don't want wind uh, farms round their villages and across our countryside, and incidentally, right at the moment when the World food production is being reduced because of the situation in Ukraine. I'm very glad that we're using our fields to produce food and not for energy purposes. I think wind farms should be offshore, where people couldn't object to them. And I want to preserve the rights of individual citizens to object to any nearby wind farm onshore, just as they would do to any other industrial development that might be happening near their houses. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, and therefore I think the moratorium makes a great deal of sense.
4: And what about on nuclear power? Reports of disagreements in the cabinet there over the uh, enormous cost of building uh, new nuclear plants.
3: I'm a great supporter of small-scale nuclear plants up and down the country, which uh, Rolls-Royce, amongst others, are very actively involved in, in building. I think that's the fu- nu- nuclear is the future. Whether we want a number of very large nuclear plants of the kind they're building near Bristol, or whether we want a whole series of smaller ones, is a, is a matter for experts to debate. Uh, but one thing's for sure, we must never again become dependent on Russia for our oil and gas and our energy. And indeed, we must uh, achieve what we promised to do at COP26. We've got to reduce the uh, carbon production to net, net zero by 2050. And the way to do that is by having small-scale nuclear plants. Of course, there's a debate to be had on this stuff. I mean, uh, both sides of the argument. Some would say uh, that uh, let's let's abandon net zero. Others would say let's abandon carbon altogether. Others would say, let's increase carbon because we're reducing what we can get from Russia. And there are debates to be had about it, and I'm certain there will be very strong debates happening in Cabinet, uh, as you correctly say. But that doesn't mean to say neither one side nor the other is correct. Uh, Let's debate how to produce enough energy to keep our lights on and and keep our our nation uh, prosperous, but do so while achieving the aims that we very properly agreed at COP26 in Glasgow only last uh, November.
4: And just briefly, on inflation, plenty of criticism for the, uh, of the Chancellor for not doing enough to ease the pain of soaring prices. Boris Johnson says the cost of the living crunch is the single biggest thing we're, ha- we're having to fix. Do you think that the government can fix soaring inflation for people?
3: Well, um, the inflation is a thing that we hadn't foreseen whatsoever. I mean, Just uh, two or three months ago, we were all saying, oh, inflation's at zero and it's going to be there less than 2% an hour. It's going to be there for all time. Interest rate's at zero and that's absolutely fine. All of a sudden, we're facing... Uh, uh, inflation of a kind that we haven't seen in 40 years. I remember inflation getting up to 20 or 30% at one time uh, and interest rates then went up 15% briefly if you recall uh, and um, I hope we're not going to see it again but inflation is something, it's a, it's a disease mm-hmm. a cancer uh, in the British economy or in the world's economy There's a cancer we have to deal with
0: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th
4: Well, let's take a look at what else you making news in the world of politics today. We're joined in the studio by Bloomberg's uh, James Walcock. James, thanks uh, for joining us as ever. Now, uh, 20 fines we're told the Met is going to uh, issue uh, fixed penalty notices uh, issued over uh, Partygate. Just talk us through uh, what else we're
1: expecting
4: uh, from this, uh, this, this long-going saga.
1: So, I mean... This, this was the first batch of fines. This was the Met saying kind of here is the sort of low hanging fruit, either people who've maybe sort of straightforwardly admitted things in public, like some have actually, there were some tweets, uh, or have said in their sort of questionnaires that the Met formally provided to like people who are involved in these down parties. So that, it doesn't mean there aren't more to come. In fact, there are almost definitely more to come because when the Met finalised their investigation is when the Gray report that we've all been waiting for for months now will come out. For me, I think, Ewan, what this kind of fines today set out is that now it is unequivocal that people broke the... The rules, the law even in Downing Street. And there are now three questions going forward to what that changes for Johnson. There is how far is he implicated? Is he going to be fined? Will he be interviewed by the Mets? And what does that say for sort of previous statements he's made about rule breaking in the commons? He's already said with one of his first statements about Down about the Downing Street parties was to his knowledge, rules were not broken. So There is now a question about how much he knew. He still is maintaining as a staff that he himself has not broken rules. Um, Then the second question, which I'm sure you might get into with your guest a bit later, is how has this changed public perception? Can the kind of fury of a month ago, which has magically died down, Johnson's been incredibly lucky with sort of the news flow here. Will that come back when the Sugar report is released in all of its gory detail, as has been promised? It will be published. How much of it will we get? Pictures, etc. Will that change how the public view it? Will it change the perception of the Conservative Party? Are they considered like the nasty parties they were in the early two thousands? Will that you know the the hypocrisy of it? Will that fade in if it is as alleged? And finally, I think this is what is most important for Johnson now. This is where his focus is. How will Tory MPs receive it? I mean, your guest just now said it. You know, it's starting to feel a bit sort of like a an event in the past. Um, I'm not to sort of misquote him. Um, our two Tory MPs have already, with Douglas Ross and Andrew Bridgerton, have withdrawn the letters of confidence. Will they start to think that actually the merits of getting rid of Johnson uh, are outweighed by the demerits, especially if there's no contender? And we're seeing what's called hash with Richie Sunak in the past week, and now his stock as the sort of leader in waiting has plummeted. Mm. Well, talking of Rishi Sunak, a lot of flack for that uh,
4: uh, photo opportunity filling up... His car, which turned out not to be his car, in this in the Sainsbury's forecourt to publicise his uh, his p off off fuel duty. What's the news uh,
1: on the Chancellor today? I mean, I don't know if you drive a Golf, Ewan, um, but the Chancellor says he does. Um, but the problem is that Daily Mirror have uncovered today that he may also drive three other vehicles, uh, some of which are seated in his uh, second home, which I believe is in San Marino. So the question is with that one. While the government is facing all these issues around cost of living, and so Andrew Bailey was just the Grand England Governor was just on yesterday talking about the crises people will have to face in terms of rising prices. Um, Sunak has increasingly, it's always been feared that he's a one of the richest chances we've ever had in UK politics. Will that come back to bite him in this sort of economic climate?
4: Mm, almost certainly the richest chance we've ever had. Uh, talking uh, talking of uh, problems, P&O uh, ferries. Now, the, the transport Secretary has been pretty uh, punchy in his criticism of P&O for the sacking of 800 workers with uh, with no notice whatsoever. What's the latest on that? Is the government going to legislate here? Is there anything they can do to to, to address the situation?
1: Well, so it's, a, it's an interesting one as a sort of test of how far the government is willing to go. Johnson has long talked about a high wage, high skill economy. That's how he sees his vision of the UK economy post Brexit. And as far as that, that's kind of this idea for like employment law. Um, Now, the question will be, though, how far will the government go to sort of Scrutinise and uh, attack PNO over this in a select committee uh, on I believe it was Monday. The Pieno C- uh, CEO um, Hebblethwaite said uh, that Piano had broken the law. He openly said PNO had broken the law to like actual like laughter from some of the MPs. But having admitted that. Will the government take action? As of this morning, uh, the Transport Safety Grant Shapps has written a quite a punchy letter where he's uh, sort of called out PO and said this is one further opportunity for them to sort of reinstate the 800 who were fired. Uh, Pieno's response to that is that we could do that, but then we would have to sack even more people to cover their costs. So they're basically saying we can't. The PO position is we can't be solvent and have these people on. The government position, as yet, is a bit murky, but seems to be if you don't, there will be penalties coming down the road. The question will then be, you and is to sort of underpin Johnson's commitment and his government's commitment to this vision how far are they willing to go Mm, interesting one to watch thanks so much for that update Bloomberg's
4: James Walcott joining us in the studio now what do Brits really think about how the government has responded to the war in Ukraine and what about the knock-on effect for the UK economy well let's discuss that with Kantar Public let's discuss Kantar Public's March Britain Barometer Uh, we're joined by Ben Humberston he's Kantar's head of population studies and thanks so much for joining us on uh, Bloomberg Westminster. Let's uh, start with the war in Ukraine. Uh, what's what is Britain's uh, what are Britain's views on uh, sanctions against Russia?
2: Uh, well, thanks, you. And uh, about seven in ten Britons support sanctions against Russia and individuals associated with the Russian government. But what's really interesting about that figure uh, of seven in ten is when you get behind the numbers and look at the age groups so 88% of those aged 65 and above are in support of sanctions whereas only 44% of those aged 18 and 24 between 18 and 24 so there's a real difference in the perceptions of sanctions uh, by age group
4: and what about some of the uh, some of the other issues around ukraine what about providing uh, w- weapons to the country perhaps a, a bit more controversial
2: Well, slightly more than half of Britain support uh, UK government providing weapons to Ukraine, so about 55%. Again, if you look behind that number, men are much more supportive than women of providing uh, weapons to Ukraine. So 67% of men, so about 7 in 10, versus 45% of women.
4: And what about uh, accepting refugees? A lot of criticism uh, of the government for being slow uh, on accepting Ukrainian refugees. The scheme is now uh, up and running. What's the what, what does public opinion say about uh, about allowing more refugees to come to Britain?
2: Well, more than half of Britain support making it easier for refugees from Ukraine to come to Britain. Again, if you look behind those numbers, a really interesting um, feature is that the support for Ukraine. Uh, refugees from Ukraine coming to Britain is much higher amongst the older ages of the population. So 65 plus, um, it's 77% compared to 50% of 18 to 24 year olds.
4: Mm, That's interesting. I think that's probably the reverse of uh, general views on on immigration. I want to ask you about uh, household finances and the rising cost of living. Broadly, how do Brits think that the economy is is doing at the moment? How do they think the government is, is handling the economy?
2: Well, forty two percent think that the British economy will be doing worse than it is now in a year's time. So um, that that's quite a, a hard uh, or quite a large large number compared to what we've had in the in the past. It's been increasing steadily since September. Um, and it's the highest figure since since January um, of last year. So that's of twenty twenty one. So that's forty two percent. Think the economy will be doing worse.
4: And what about when it comes to people's uh, views of their own household uh, finances uh, in terms of uh, coping with household bills uh, and the effect of of rising prices on on their individual circumstances?
2: Well. Perhaps unsurprisingly, um, given uh, people's experience at the moment and the the costs on the shelves and on the forecourts, over half of Britain's, 54%, are finding it harder to meet their monthly household budget than they were a year ago. And this is the highest level recorded since March
4: 2012. So that's uh, that's exactly uh, 10 years. And just moving on to wider policy priorities, what do people say are the most important things that the government should be uh, tackling in the UK? I'm guessing uh, the economy and the cost of living is going to be pretty high up that list.
2: Absolutely. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly, half of Britons think reducing the cost of living for households should be a, a priority for the UK government. And this is up uh, five percentage points on last month, reflecting the changes and the and the increase in inflation that we've seen.
4: And what about people's um, job job uh, security? How do people feel uh, their how secure do people feel their jobs are?
2: Uh, well, twenty one percent of working Britons believe their job is less secure than it was a year ago, and only fifteen percent believe their job is more secure. Um, so, having said that, just over half of people believe their job security is much the same as it was. So, um, so there's some interesting interesting points there um and and actually the 21% of britons who believe their job is less secure is is down 9 percentage points on last month so there's there's something about um people believing their jobs are slightly more secure than they were uh this time a month ago
4: and an issue which uh, public opinion has has varied a great deal over the last couple of years is covid what's the latest polling on how the government has handled the pandemic
2: In terms of managing the the COVID-19 pandemic, um, around about half of Britons think the government has handled the pandemic um, poorly, uh, while 44% think the government has handled it well.
4: And just to round off, just tell us, talk us through uh, overall voting intentions. What have you found uh, uh, when it comes to uh, how people would vote if there was an election uh, over the next few weeks?
2: Uh, well, actually, um, so Labour have come down slightly in, uh, in voting intentions. They're currently at 36%. That's down three points on February 2022. The Conservatives have come up slightly. And they're now level pegging on thirty-six percent. That's that's two percentage point increase on um, on last month. But bear in mind the margins of error uh, around these could mean that, given that they're neck and neck, um, that there could be a difference there that hasn't been picked
4: up. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB digital radio in London.